new new stuff in it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I mean, I think with yourself, um, we we might get to know a bit about your your projects because I uh, I mean you're quite happy to um, put that stuff on the net, aren't you? You're doing your, um, your mm-hmm. patio at the moment. Yeah. So a lot of people see that. Yeah. And, and you're quite happy to share that. I mean, you, you share quite quite a lot, really, I suppose, don't you? Yeah, probably more than I should. But um, I just do it. Um, don't know why, but I do. <laughs> <laughs> So you've got this project going on at the minute because we've we've chatted about it before, and um, as I say, there's lots of pics going up on Facebook. It's looking good at the mm-hmm. minute. Yeah, it's nearly finished. Uh, it's a deck, so uh, basically a deck out the back of the house, wooden deck. And for years, I had this idea of having a wooden deck out the back um, <clears throat> of the house because um, before I built the deck, it was. Uh, pretty depressing site. Uh, it was just a standard lawn and uh, some uh, cement blocks um, or paving stones, I should say, uh, weeds. And it just looked, it looked, it looked its age uh, and it was long overdue uh, a makeover, you know what I mean? But I just never really got the energy, time and uh, focus to, to build the deck, which I had planned to do. Um, in my mind, at least. But of course, this year was the most different year of any year. <laughs> and uh, normally every summer we go away somewhere to the south of France or whatever and disappear for a few weeks and just get out of the country and, you know, chill and, and, and relax uh, during vacation. But this year, of course, none of that happened. So it was a, a staycation. <clears throat> so... I sort of decided, okay, I'm going to try and do this. And when I say I'm going to try and do this, that's exactly what I felt like. I, I, I watched a bunch of YouTube videos about, about you know, guys in the US and UK and so on, how to build a deck. And I, I got a lot of ideas from them. And then I um, researched some uh, Swedish websites uh, that sold construction equipment. Uh, and you know lumber yards and stuff like that and uh, found some do-it-yourself guides for how to build a deck uh, the type of deck that I wanted to build at least because I wanted it in line with the lawn right so so with no plan in place only ideas in my head no plan (laughs) I started digging the uh a hole in the, the grass, uh, literally. So, on, so you're not even like pl- there's nothing drawn out. You just start. I, I, made, I made I made a preliminary um, line uh, to to mark what I thought was going to be the space that should be dug out. So I, uh, I and it was less than what it ended up being. Um, so it was my estimate of what should be dug out, and I, I figured that I need to dig down about 20 centimeters or, or so, uh, which is quite a lot. Uh, so it, it turned out in the end that I dug out six and a half tons of muck uh, using nothing more than a, a spade and a wheelbarrow. So that took <laughs> that took about two weeks. And, and in, in a way, it was good that I did it with a spade and a wheelbarrow because during those two weeks, 
of digging it out, um, I was doing more research and talking to my neighbor who's done something similar before. And he says, well, what's your plan? And I, I was like, plan? What's that? Uh, so, yeah. So when he said, oh, what's your plan? I started to put together a plan and uh, started to estimate uh, exactly the the uh, dimensions and how much wood I would need and, and how much gravel and, and stuff like that. So he was a great help with um, getting things going and building the initial frame. He helped me build the initial supporting frame. Um, so that's so the, so the idea behind that supporting frame is that coming from him or like um, some yeah. of the things that you'd researched online as well. Both. So the the um, the local uh, lumber yard called Big Max that that I went to and bought all the wood from. Um, they provided a blueprint for how to build the frame. So that was, you know, the blueprint of, okay, this is how I'm going to do it, except the actual frame that I ended up building was totally different to that blueprint because that pl blueprint was for just a, a generic square shape. Do you know what I mean? Uh, and uh, the decking space that I needed to do was 29 square meters, and it was... It wasn't just a, a, a square. It was more like a rectangle with a sort of a, a smaller rectangle attached to it. <clears throat> so um, uh, so basically, after talking with uh, my neighbor and uh, after he talked to a friend of his who actually worked in this type of uh, industry, uh, he was a carpenter, he basically said to us, uh, well, you know, if you're going to support a outdoor spa there in the corner, then you should consider having the uh, the frames uh, closer than 60 centimeters apart. So the way we were building it was every 60 centimeters, we put a, a frame uh, plank down. And uh, he said you should double that for anywhere underneath where the spa is going to be, because these spas can weigh a lot 260 kilograms when when they're empty and then when you fill them with um you know 500 or 700 liters of water it's going to be pretty heavy so you want to have a solid support so the one thing i learned from listening to my neighbor and also to this uh, carpenter was uh you need to build a strong enough frame so what we did which was against the advice from the uh website was we built the frame outside of the hole and the reason we did that was so that we could strengthen each and every supporting uh frame plank um with three really strong screws on either end so that 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 frame uh that's underneath the deck right now it will probably live longer than this house i mean if the house is blown down by a tornado that frame will still be there it's so solid so we got a, in the in the end we got a crane to come over and uh, drop it into place. It took fifteen minutes. It was really cool. Right. Cool, and and wood and so woodwork skills. Because I've looked at some of this, some of the pictures. It looks mm -hmm. looks amazing, really. The, the way you've done it, woodwork yeah. skills. Is it something you've you, you you're comfortable with, or again, is this new? Um, I've done basic uh, fence building before myself, um, uh, and you know. 
I wasn't afraid of picking up a saw or a tool or anything like that, but I basically learned on the job. So um, uh, having advice from someone who's done it before always helps. Uh, and, and, and literally the first few days, or actually the first, yeah, the first few days, two days of building the frame, uh, my neighbor, Peter, was here with me and he was telling me, okay, you need to do it this way. And he was giving me advice all along. So with his advice, I was able to do it myself, right? So after I got the advice from him, I knew, okay, I'm doing this the right way. Uh, and he also lent me three books uh, about how to how to do any sort of carpentry stuff. And in there was, yeah, building your decks and all that sort of thing. So between between his advice, the three books, which I just glanced through, and the YouTube videos uh, and the websites, um, I think I got a lot of information, information overload, how to build a deck. <laughs> and, um, and and basically then, just like anything else, I just, I learned by doing. So um, you, you, you get into a pace. When, when you have to build a 20, 29 square meter deck, you will uh, learn very quickly because uh, if you don't, it's going to be a disaster. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, I can imagine I've, I've put three three floorboards down in the house. That mm-hmm. that was uh, that was uh, complex for me. So to build something for and I had to put a piano on top of it. So I was kind of worried that Oof, that was yeah. going to yeah be a problem. But you know this whole thing that you're supporting. I mean, it looks like I say it looks looks great. And that, and uh, is it almost done? Or are you still what you, you've done some <clears> bits <throat> around the, the 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 pathway and stuff? Yeah, uh, it's, all that. It's, well, that was the front of the house. So this is the back. The deck is at the back of the house. So the the deck is nearly done. I have two more panels, uh, privacy fence panels to finish. And these panels are, yeah, they're laborious in building them because um, uh, we wanted to have the the little slats in, in these panels to be uh, very close together. And it, it gives a beautiful effect when they're finished because they're white and they're very, there's a very narrow gap between them. It lets just a little bit of light through and it's great privacy. So I'm going to build the last two of them by hand on uh, Saturday. That's the plan. And then, then the deck will be done. Uh, and then I can go and spend more money on things like the spa, the outdoor spa and stuff like that. Cool. That's yeah. looking great. And, mm-hmm. uh, you. you know, a lot of back breaking work i know i can imagine um that you've been absolutely shattered through oh, through the process geez. of making it it was a lot of hard work a lot a lot more work than i anticipated because of course i didn't do a plan until halfway through so and i'd never done anything like this before so it really was a huge undertaking uh but very enjoyable because um even though it was really hard work you could see the progress each day and uh not only that but um uh it took my mind off normal life you know working uh, with computers and all that sort of stuff so i was just focusing on get, getting the deck done which was uh, a completely different stress to the stress i'm normally used to totally i suppose i better introduce you now Actually, yeah. we're twelve minutes in, and we haven't <laughs> we haven't done anything yet. So <laughs> people may not know who I'm, who's talking. Um, so Noel Brady, thanks ever so much for taking part in the final episode of this 
just uh, just a couple of jerks podcast. Mm. <laughs> Glad to um, be here. <laughs> what I say? Yeah, it sounds like it. <laughs> mm. uh, no, it's great. Um, uh, final episode. Final episode, possibly of this season. So uh, I'm I'm taking a break. We're, you're you're number twenty six. So we're half a year in to yeah. these uh, these podcasts, which uh, I can't believe half a year. Has just kind of flown. So that's really at the start of lockdown, um, and it, I don't know for you. Has it has it flown through since March this year? Yes, um, I mean it has. Uh, it's and it's been really weird. I mean, a really very strange year. I mean, it started off normally. Um, work was normal work. Uh, I was traveling um, December, January, here and there around Europe and stuff visiting factories, doing my job, and uh, everything was normal. Um, I mean, of course, there was reports in the news about um, coronavirus and so forth, uh, but nothing really hit home until mid-March. And then mid-March, uh, the world was going into lockdown, and <clears throat> we agreed, uh, the, the team that I'm on at work, we agreed that, okay, we're going to start working from home now because there was so much you know scare about it but, but i mean i live in sweden and um, sweden did not lock down the country it basically advised people you know this is what you should do avoid other people and and so forth but uh, it didn't lock down the country uh, which was nice so we could still do normal things if you were so inclined but uh, what i did was um, i had no problem working from home uh, I just invested in my home office and made it uh, a much more enjoyable place to be in, in terms of working. And uh, uh, yeah, I've been working from home since mid-March and it's the new normal now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I think we're kind of used to it, aren't we, really? Yeah, yeah. Um, there's, there's been a, a funny response to a bunch of adverts actually today on Twitter in the UK, you know, debt mm-hmm. or the disinfectant people. Yeah, they've kind of written um, all these things because we're kind of going back to trying to go back to the new normal now, and you know, people returning to offices, people returning to schools, and they've written this mm. thing of like little points that we kind of, you know, we missed, and then people have been really cynical about it. So it's like mm-hmm. water cooler conversations, that sort of thing, and everyone's gone, uh, no, um, you know, train delays blah 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 you know it's that sort of been, been quite cynical in their answers and we've been we kind of used to just kind of working from home and in a way you know i mean i've worked from home quite a lot over the last mm. few years and mm. i just find it more productive me too um, yeah you can just get on with stuff and you go into the office and conversations happen people you know it just becomes that that fact that you've got to commute there as well and the yeah. whole rush hour thing and you just get on with it when you're at home and just focus more. And when you need that coffee break, you go and grab it. Okay, social interactions less, but mm. I don't know. It just seem it just seems to work for me. Yeah, but we work in IT, so uh, for us, working from home is no biggie. I mean, we've been doing it for a long time, but not to this intensity. Uh, so it was the intensity that was different for me, you know, f- working five days in a row from home <laughs> for months on end. So quite quickly into the, into that process, I realized that my, you know, home office in inverted commas was not going to cut it. 
So I got rid of the old, I don't know, 13, 12 year old uh, IKEA desk, which I hated anyway. It was really old fashioned and boring. And I, I went and got one of those up down desks um, so that you can stand when you want and raise and lower. I invested in my home office and got some nice monitors and made it a really nice space where I can be productive and, you know, enjoy working from home. Yeah, because so, so you know cool. you're going to be there. That's the thing, yeah, isn't it? You know exactly. you're there. And possibly so, for quite a while still. I mean, have, has there been any kind of indication that you're wanted back in for a few days a week or anything? Yeah, like so uh, I work for a global a company called Tetra Pak, and they're fantastic. Um, they basically uh, do food packaging, and the slogan is to protect what's good. And um, not only are they protecting what's good in terms of the food packaging and the food that's uh, they're, they're they're delivering, but you know they're even protecting their employees. So um, what they've done is they've initiated this thing called Phase Two, where um, the employees can go back to work uh, one day a week over over the period of a month, right? So uh, we have been going in for a couple of weeks now. Um, uh, every Wednesday, that's our allotted day. So I, I, I now travel to work every Wednesday, and then I work from home Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Thursday Friday. Mm-hmm. Um, but so they it, kind of changed the internals then to kind of socially yes, space out. Totally. Right. Uh, totally. Yeah. So basically when you go in the door, um, the first thing you see is uh, a station where you get yourself a mask, face mask, and uh, also some uh, disinfectant. Um, so you disinfect your hands, you stick on your mask, and then you stand in front of a machine and it measures your temperature and it will give you a green light or a red light. So if it gives you the green, if it gives you the green light, you're safe to go in to work, and if it gives you the red light, you contact your boss and you go, you, you work from home uh, for two weeks. So I'm really impressed what they've done. They've changed how you sit uh, in in the canteen. Um, it's, it's it's they've done a huge amount to protect the employees, and I'm I'm actually really impressed what they've done. So also when when you go down and, and sit at your desk. Um, the desks are basically, it's, uh, you don't really have a desk. So you, you have an allocated uh, room that you go to, and then you take a free desk, and, and that free desk, uh, no one is allowed to sit beside it, right? So that desk will be yours for the day, but no one can sit beside you. So you're in the office doing your thing, um, and when you move around in the office, you have to put on the mask, which I think is very fair. And uh, it gives a, f- a feeling that they're taking it seriously, which I like. Yeah. And so are they are they cleaning down at the end of every day then? Absolutely. Kind of use that, yes. space. It's, that space would be used then by someone else on a different day. Yeah. Is it yes. on it right? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Uh, and, and I mean, you know, are you kind of engaging in interaction a bit yes. more so on of course. those I'm, days you're in? Yeah. So, I mean, uh, my team members uh, are in as well. The, the team members that work in, in London, at least in Sweden, uh, because it's a global company, uh, the team that I'm on is small, but um, it has uh, members all around the world. So, um, 
at least the members that I deal with uh, that work in the same uh, building are there on the same day that I'm there. So that's nice. Sure. Sure. No, that's, that's, it's interesting how people are starting to go back. I mean, I'm, I've not had to go to any customer sites since, since uh, lockdown's been easing. So mm. I'm sure it's going to be different uh, across the globe, but it sounds like they've got it down to a T almost like straight away with what, what they've got, got going there, particularly with the um, scanning for temperature and that as you enter, that's, that's pretty cool. Yeah, I was really impressed with what they've done. Um, I mean, they really thought it through. And in fact, I was on vacation all of July when I was building my deck out the back. And the week before I, I was due to go back to work, um, I got a delivery um, from from Touchpack. And so I thought, okay, what's this? A little box. So I opened up the box, and inside there was uh, face, uh, sorry, hand wipes, you know, those sanitation ones, and disinfectant. Uh, there was a really cool um, uh, ruler, one of those ones that you can extend. And there was a letter explaining, well, what's in this package and why. And it was like, welcome back. Uh, this is phase two. The ruler is so that you can, you know, visualize what two and a half meters is because that's the space that's the distance you should be from other people the uh the um the wipes are to keep everything clean when you go in wipe the area that you're going to work at uh and the, there was a face mask as well so i mean i it was a real feeling that not only are they taking it seriously in work itself but they want to prepare you for this change before you come back to work and i thought that was really really well done really professional yeah definitely and so you've been working with tetra pack for quite a while uh now yeah since 2009 uh as a um consultant um and then they took me on full-time 2013 so i've been there for quite a while now okay so initially you're in like a, as a freelance contract role yeah i was a consultant so i was working for some other consultants companies and they basically farmed me out to uh to tetra Pak. pretty pretty much full-time but i was basically employed by the consultant company yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so they yeah. kind of not poach you <laughs> that's mm. the wrong word but you kind of you kind of became it in-house effectively yeah, yeah. with them at that time so because you're obviously not from sweden you're from ireland originally correct was that when you moved out then at that time? No, no, uh, no. Uh, I left Ireland uh, in 1998, came to live in Sweden uh, with my uh, Swedish Sambo, which is the Swedish word for partner. And um, that was 1998. And we started living uh, initially in Stockholm. So at that time, back then, uh, Back in those days, I was working for Dell Computers, um, and I was, uh, yeah, I was based in the Dell office in, in Uplands Vasby in Stockholm for five years. <clears throat> and uh, as time moved on, um, uh, we decided to move down to the south of Sweden, which was a warmer place to live, but also much cheaper in terms of uh, getting yourself a house, accommodation, etc. 
Because if you want to buy a house in Stockholm today, um, you know, you're going to need seriously deep pockets because the prices are just ridiculous. So what kind of price are you paying then? Is that a two-bedroom flat? What kind of? In Stockholm. Beyond London prices. I would say it's probably like London. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a capital city. It's all happening there. Uh, so they charge whatever they want, basically. So, <clears throat> so uh, it didn't look like we were going to get ourselves a house there. So we decided, yeah, let's move down to the south. And that way as well, we could be closer to uh, the local family yeah. as well. And, and how, how was that change for yourself then? That's quite a big, big change, isn't it? Uh, to moving over to another country. Yeah. Yeah. Initially, it was uh, um, very different uh, and exciting. And, but I mean, Sweden uh, and most of the Nordic countries, uh, they learn English at school from a very young age. Um, and English is pretty much their second language. And pretty much everyone in Sweden or Denmark or Norway can speak English fluently without any problem at all so moving over here was very easy in terms of the language because everyone can speak english but um uh, getting used to the the cold and the long 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 dark winter uh, that was uh, a little bit tougher so hold on coming from ireland and getting used to the cold that should be it <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I mean, okay. It's a different cold, though, yeah? I mean, in Ireland, uh, yeah, it's wet and wet and, uh, yeah, cloudy and so forth. But it, it didn't feel as dark for as long as it is in Sweden. Because in Sweden, it, Sweden is more north north than uh, Ireland. And the winters are just longer here. So, so on the winter, then? So yeah. what's the daylight hours, then? Um, so when when's it get it, dark? Okay, so in the middle of the winter, uh, it can get dark around three o'clock, just after three, and uh, get bright uh, just before eight in the morning. So uh, I would be driving to work. I would leave the house at seven a.m. usually to drive to work. So I'm at work at eight, and in the winter it's dark pretty much the whole way. And then I arrive at work, and it's starting to get bright. And by bright, I mean it's still dark. And you, you go into the office and then it's bright because you've got all those fluorescent lights blinding you. And um, you'd work until five or so and then go out to your car and it's dark. It's dark. So basically you, you drive to work, it's dark. You, come home, you leave work, it's dark. The only time you see the, the sun or see daylight is on Saturday and Sunday. And yeah, usually you're quite tired then. But it, it it totally makes up for it in the summer because in the summer you get these really long days where it can stay bright until 10, 30, 11 at night, no problem. And then the sun dips for a few hours and then it's bright again at like 2.30 or 3 in the morning. It's just amazing. Yeah, so I suppose you're just starting to ease towards that. We, we, we're seeing the, the darker nights coming in here a, a little bit earlier already. And mm. actually the, the weather's gone useless now. We've had our summer. So now we're we're in September and that we've had the heat wave, um, and it's just gone depressingly autumnal. Which I I like the autumn, but you know I'd like a bit more sun for another month maybe just to see out the summer. Yeah, it would be nice. I mean, the, I looked at the forecast and it looks like 
I mean, summer's over. It's uh, you get a little bit of sun during the day, but it's it's cloudy and sort of rainy, and I, I think it's pretty much the same over in the UK and Ireland at the moment. Yep, it's gone horrible. Yeah. So, which part of Ireland were you? Were you did you grow up in then? Now. Okay, so I was born in Dublin a um, long time ago. <laughs> and uh, at the age of three, uh, my, my family or my parents decided to, to emigrate to Africa, uh, to, a place called, to a place called Zambia. So uh, actually my childhood memories of growing up was um, of growing up in uh, Kitwe, Zambia, which was an amazing childhood. So I lived there for seven years. Uh, had an amazing childhood, and then they moved back to Ireland, Dublin, in 1976, and um, and then uh, spent a, a year or so maybe in in Dublin, and then moved back to where my mother uh, was born, which is in Sligo. So Sligo, Sligo is in the northwest of Ireland, and it's a beautiful place, surrounded by mountains, lakes, the sea. It's an amazing place, and I. I, I I've gone back there every single year that I've been in Sweden, except for this year. This is the first year that I haven't. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, my my wife's uh, parents, uh, well, her mom's from Inneskillen, and we used to drive down the Sligo Road out of Inneskillen. Wow, that's right. Yes, it's very, very close. Yeah, but I don't think I've actually been to Sligo itself. I don't think I've been that way. Well, well... We'll have to change that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's 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 lovely. I mean, I do, you know, I do find Ireland, um, you know, that apart from the weather, it's beautiful, isn't it? The weather, I would say, is pretty similar to what you get in the UK. Okay, maybe there's more rain because, especially especially on the west coast, because I mean, there's nothing to protect Ireland. You have all these rain clouds coming in, and the first thing they see is Sligo, and they go, "Okay, here we go." They dump the rain down, and by the time the rain clouds get to Dublin, um, yeah, there's not so much rain left. Well, if if you listen to a bit of the, the podcast with Rory, I talk about when I went on holiday to Westport one time, and uh, we had the horizontal rain bashing at the Welcome to Westport sign as we entered. It was like, yeah, right. Look, looking forward to this holiday, but you know, <laughs> we, the, the, the sea it was fantastic out there. You know, it's, just get your jackets on and get going, really. Exactly. But yeah, like, so how how far would Sligo actually be from Enniskillen then? Uh, not far. I'm not exactly sure in, in terms of kilometers, maybe 70 kilometers or something. But uh, yeah, like an hour's drive. Um, it's fairly pleasant. Pass through Leitrim, Donegal, and then you're in Inneskillen. Uh, been there many times. It was a really nice uh, sports center there. And the, the, oh, uh, yes. the, ta- the town center in Inneskillen is lovely. Yes, um, I've been for a swim in that pool there at the Leisure Center. Yeah, it's lovely. I'm looking at a picture now on the wall. We have a picture of the the castle there, mm. um, in the centre of Inneskillen with snow around Lochern. Yeah, um, it's really lovely. I've been up to Donegal, so mm-hmm. um, that's that, there's a castle there, isn't there? And, and oh, I'm trying to remember the name of the the place everyone goes to on the beach now, where um, an area where they all go surfing. Um, up past Donegal, Mullochmore. Um, no, no, no. My brain's gone. I can't remember. Can't remember the name of it at all. So, mm-hmm. so yeah. You, so you go back every year. So, mm-hmm. family's still there. Then, then, yeah. 
my mom my mom lives in Sligo uh, still, and uh, mm. my brother lives in Limerick. So usually when I fly in, I fly into Dublin, and then I uh, rent a car and I drive uh, directly. <laughs> I just boom out out the door, hop in the car, drive the whole way to Sligo. It takes two or three hours. Uh, and then usually my brother is already there or he will arrive down uh, quite quickly. And uh, I'm there for a week usually. So usually I go back at least for one week uh, every year. Uh, sometimes I go back twice. So this year this year is, is the exception. Yeah, yeah. At all. And I think I've just remembered the name of the place now. Ross Nowler. Yes, I remember Ross Nowler. Yes, yeah. yes. The only the only place I know where they all park up on the beach and have no <laughs> no respect for the beach at all. They all just yeah. pile in there. There's yeah. a Smuggler's Cove pub or something at the top where you go yeah. and have a bit of bite to eat. Ross now. I've yeah. been there, yeah. Yes, yes. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's a place that I've not been to for a while, actually, Ireland, because, mm. uh, you know, mum and, mom and dad have passed on now. So, mm-hmm. you know, we're not out there as, as much as we used to be, but we were out there pretty frequently. I think the first time in the 90s, uh, that was the first time I went over to Ireland, and we did a bit, of, a bit of a tour. We went to Dingle. We did the Ring of Kerry on bicycles, which we hadn't been cycling at all, mm. really. And uh, that just seemed to be uphill the whole way. And we, we always, you always find some Irish pub where Tom Cruise has been as well. Um, there's always a picture of a landlord with Tom Cruise. He'd been in this this pub in the middle of nowhere. Um, mm. But yeah, fond, fond memories. And, and eating lots of potatoes, nice potatoes with meals. Yeah. Um, I love Ireland. I mean, I'm Irish. I don't sound very Irish, but uh, I was born there. And, you know, that's my roots. And I do go back every year. And uh, I like it. It's nice. Well, the Irish twang's still there a bit now. I must, you know, I think with myself, I mean, I'm from Yorkshire and there's still a bit of the Yorkshire twang in there. And, mm. you know, I think I don't think we can escape it. Um, but when I do go home, I um, I slip back into it a little bit and um, it just doesn't sound right. You know, when I was a kid, it was like I had quite a thick accent, but you, mm-hmm. you lose it over time. So out yeah. in Africa then, you were there for seven years. So what, yes. you said a great time growing up. So what was that? Lots of freedom to, to roam and lots of open space? Well, it was great in the way that um, uh, it taught me to really enjoy good weather. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, we lived in uh, Kitwe in Zambia, which is on the Copper Belt, and it's just below the equator. And uh, uh, the weather there was just amazing. It was uh, somewhere between 30 and 40 degrees every day, which sounds really hot, but there was no humidity. Uh, so it was dry, dry heat. And um, so it was very pleasant. And we had a swimming pool in our back garden. So you'd go, to, you'd go to school and hang out with the kids and have fun there and then go home and uh, swim in the pool. And it was, it was a very healthy uh, childhood and got to see lots of things uh, going on safari seeing hippos and elephants and lions and just really really thrilling yeah you know? a great experience for a yeah, kid growing up that, so, isn't it? so many memories of growing up in in africa beautiful beautiful yeah, place yeah and having a pool at your house as well great yeah it was only a small pool it was just you know i mean when you're a kid you know seven years old uh, even a small pool is just amazing 
<clears throat> oh, absolutely. Yeah, I wouldn't know. <laughs> <laughs> I get get an opportunity once every so often when we rent somewhere out that's got a pool. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's about it. So no, we've not we've not chatted about IT yet. Oh, must we? Yeah, go on then. Um, so what? So you you were working with Dell. Was that your first experience with IT then? No. Um, where did I start with IT? It's a long, long, long road back. But basically, uh, if we go right back to the beginning of where I think my journey with IT started, it was in Africa uh, when I was a kid. And I was at a primary school there, a mixed primary school. And uh, it's uh, at that school, I absolutely remember seeing a monstrosity. It was literally the size of a room. And beso- beside this this thing, which I was told was a computer, um, were all these uh, cards. Um, and they were bigger than an iPhone Plus. Uh, and each card was, you know, with holes in it and all sorts of um, shapes and so forth. And basically, they used these cards with the holes in them to tell the computer what to do. At least that's how I understood it. And uh, there was hundreds and maybe even thousands of these cards uh, just, you know, laying around, They're probably used. And they've done their thing. So that I, I, I distinctly remember that. Uh, and it, I guess it had an impression on me. And then later on in life, when we moved back to Ireland, my father um, purchased a, a ZX81 computer, which is a 1K, 1K computer for me. And I actually still have it. Uh, I haven't turned it on in like 30, 40 years, but I have it. So, still there. Yeah, I still have it. And it was a 1K computer, and you could type in about 10 lines of basic before it would crash. I mean, it was it was like a sort of an oversized calculator um but and that, was... is that the white one it's like a white color is no, it no, white gray yeah was the, it black I, the zx80 i think was the white one uh yeah so zx80 came before the zx81 then the zx81 was black with this little rubbery keyboard um and then after that of course there was the Sinclair spectrum which i didn't get my father got uh 48k and then and then after that a, a friend of mine friend of mine got an Amstrad CPC 464, which was a 64K Z80 based four megahertz computer. And I couldn't believe how awesome it was at the time. We were kids, he had it, and I would go over to his house and we'd play games for hours on end. And basically that's all we did with it was to play games. So I was really jealous, I wanted one, uh, but I never managed to get one for a few years until uh, a couple of years later, um, Amstrad released one called the Amstrad CPC 6128, which was way better. So I was happy about that. So it had 128K of RAM, which, of course, is nothing by today's standards. Uh, and it had a floppy disk drive, a three-inch floppy disk drive. So it was Amstrad's um, tour de force. And it was amazing. And I... I learned how to program on that computer uh, in, first in basic and then i learned how to hack games uh, bought all sorts of tools and roms that that would allow me to freeze games mid-game and then i could disassemble the game uh, and find out where i could poke um values to either give infinite lives or you know do things like redesign the game 
uh, redesign maps oh, yeah. and so forth. So I started getting heavily into hacking games and uh, getting published. So I was published 14 times in magazines back in the late 80s mm. uh, for these Amstrad CPCs. And that had a lasting impression on me because I enjoyed, um, first of all, the challenge of hacking a game and solving how to make it easier to play, even more so than playing the game, which is kind of bizarre. Uh, but I also enjoyed walking down to the news agent to see when the magazine was published and then losing you a bit you know feverishly opening the magazine to see okay was i in it right was i published that month yeah yeah so that that gave me a lot of inspiration to uh you know keep at it so um i did yeah Same in so that's how, I started, that's how i started out with computers um basically uh, teaching myself Z80 uh, assembly language, uh, programming in that. Yeah. You still there? Oh, sorry. I lost I'm, I lost you a couple of times there. Sorry. You there? Yes, I'm here. Can you hear me? Yeah, I'm sorry. I've just had a quick... Yeah, it just broke up slightly a couple of times there. Right. Okay. Okay, so you get your name published. You get your name published in the magazines. Um, mm. Did Did you get any kind of little prizes for that? Or is it just getting your name no. in there? There's no oh, like, well, oh, here's a, actually, here's a reward. Yeah, I mean, the reward was they probably sent you the game of the month or something, uh, which which in itself was good uh, because now you got a new game for free that you could try and hack. <laughs> And that was the way I looked at it. Uh, I never really bought games <laughs> to play them. Uh, there was only one game, one or two games that I really enjoyed playing, like Spin Dizzy and Jet Set Willy 2, and maybe Sorcery. But, um, but, but for me, oh, yeah. at the time, the excitement was, can I figure out how to hack this game or can I break the loader, the encryption that is you know, loading this game? And I found all that really much more interesting than the yeah. game itself, which is bizarre, but that's what I enjoyed doing. Yeah, it, yeah. Ha it, ha it hasn't even. And so, is this because... the this is the computer that? Yeah. No, go on, carry on. Yeah, it hasn't stopped there because um, that Amstrad CPC, you know, time in my life, which was the late eighties um 88 or so 89 um you know uh, i moved on and i moved away from those uh, devices uh onto pcs and i went in different direction you know um i started off thinking that i was going to be a web designer um you know designing web pages because back then the internet was really just starting to happen and oh of course everyone wanted a website and so you know, web designers at that time were in big demand. So I thought, oh, okay, great. You know, I've created a few little pathetic websites in GeoCities at the time. Uh, so I thought I could make my fortune on uh, designing websites. So um, uh, so actually that is where my, uh, my uh, nick, uh, if you want to call it that, of any web, uh, that's where it comes from. I decided I need a name and the name is going to be uh, AnyWeb, and what it stood for at that time was any website you want, right? So, 
So that's so 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 basically, I tried that for a couple of months, uh, designing websites for companies, and maybe I was too gullible because I would take on a, a a a an order, and they'd say we want this, and they'd initially start with five pages, you know, help about so on, and this is what we do, and this is what we sell, and these are really simple websites. But the thing is, I would do those five pages exactly the way they wanted. And then I'd I'd br bring it back to them and say, here you go. And then they go, yeah, well, we want it this way instead. And we want this and we want that. Before I knew it, I was spending months on something that should have been done in, you know, a week max and still getting the same price. So, yeah, I wasn't good at doing deals uh, back then. And um I gave up on that idea and I decided to go into uh, the support arena instead. So I, yeah, I mean, I worked uh, as a support. So when were, you, when were you doing the websites then now? I mean, it must have been uh, early 90s, early 90s, yeah, early to mid 90s. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. That's really early on, isn't it, in the, in the old internet timeline? Uh, yeah, I mean, it was... Yeah, it was a long time ago. And then, I mean, I got my first real, I had some jobs uh, working as IT support, uh, you know, an IT technician supporting Novell Networks. I was Novell Network, Novell Network certified. So I even got, you know, uh, certified dealing with Windows for work groups. Oh, my God, it was, it was horrible back then. I mean, we had these, um, you know, those network cables, uh, coaxial network cables. And if someone if someone tripped over one of those cables, the whole network would go down. And then we'd have to, you know, in a building with three floors, you'd have to go around to every computer to see what was the was the cable snapped, you know, who's who's disconnected it or or whatever. It was a nightmare back then. Um, so then I remember then those days. Was that on Token Ring? Was it? Uh, yeah, could have been. <laughs> I can't remember, but it was Novell Network. <laughs> with those coaxial cables and if one got this yeah. the whole network was down and i remember yeah horrible yeah and it was uh, word perfect do you remember that <laughs> oh yeah 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 we were talking to mike uh, marable about this uh, mm -hmm. he used to support word perfect and they used to support people who copied the discs and everything it's <laughs> like we've just copied this and uh, copied this and uh, how do we make this work and he had to just support them it's a different different world back then wasn't it really totally different i mean uh, wordpress 5.1 was the big thing windows workgroups was the os uh, and i was also i was still designing them not, but not websites now i was designing company brochures uh, so, so i was designing company brochures uh, for the marketing department of this um, uh, recruitment agency in dublin for two years and that was before i joined dell so I was doing a lot of design work as well as supporting the Novell network and, you know, general Windows troubleshooting. It was a very interesting time for sure. But uh, things would things would really change when I joined Dell. Um, yeah. So when I joined Dell, I started as a you know bottom of the ladder support technician taking phone calls from the UK market. <clears throat> and um, around the time I joined... Of course, Windows 95 was out, so we were supporting Windows 95. We were supporting mobile workforce, so it was dial-up with uh, PCM CIA modems. I mean, it was, oof, yeah. It was so, it was, 
so different back then. I mean, kids of today have no idea how hard we had it. I mean, yeah. A 33. Well, when plug, I remember... and, plug and play came in. Do you remember? We yeah. were like, oh my God, we can plug something in and it's been detected. Yes. But also, I remember, you know, thinking a 33.6K dial up modem was good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then 56K, ooh, that was amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, times have certainly changed. Um, that we, that we, yeah, like you say, the kids the, these days don't realise. I think I've, I'm sure I've seen a YouTube video of kids trying stuff out from back in the day. Yes, I've seen them, and they're just like, "What the hell is this?" You know, I mean, even the fact that you know, going back to the games days with with your Amstrad, or I suppose your Amstrad, you said was floppy disk, but you know, mm-hmm. before that with your Spectrum. Um, Spectrum days and Commodore 64 and loading everything off cassette and we'd load the, the, the tape wouldn't we for 5-10 yes. minutes wait for the game to load up mm. only to find that when you finally got the game going it, it was absolute rubbish and <laughs> you had to go and load something else can you imagine what the kids wait in 10 minutes for a game no, they to wouldn't. fire up but I mean no. times are so different so I'm glad, I'm glad you mentioned the Amstrad again because I've kind of come to a stage in my life i guess it's i'm so old that you know i'm starting to relive okay well how did i start out with computers so i've really all of a sudden it started actually about a year and a half ago uh i got this desire i don't know maybe i saw something on facebook but i got this desire to to get myself one of those computers again the amstrad cpc 6128 because i lost mine somehow uh, moving from apartment to apartment it just disappeared no idea where it is sadly because i'd love to read my original code you know and some of the programs the I original. Wrote. yeah i'd love yeah. to just to see the comments i wrote and just you know nostalgia so anyway i went and sourced one of those computers on um, ebay uh, and uh, i got it um, it was fantastic and then i started to buy more kit and uh, games and now I actually have six of them. One is arriving soon, which will be the seventh. So, <laughs> and I've set up a website. It's become an obsession it. now. Yes, it has, but it's also fun. I mean, there's these very lively Facebook groups dedicated to the Amstrad CPC. Um, and CPC I, Noob, is it? <laughs> well, yeah, Amstrad-Noob.com. <laughs> right. <laughs> so in there, I'm going to, I'm going to chronicle uh, what I'm doing with these Amstrads and my hope in the future when I get time is to disassemble a disk sector editor program that I published in 1988 uh, in Z80. And what I want to do is take that entire program, disassemble it, provide the source code for others, and also I want to add my own comments to it and maybe take that program and write a new version of it for for today. And you might think that's really crazy, but guess what? I'm not the only one that's uh, still thinking about doing this stuff. There are uh, game programmers today producing games for these old um, 8-bit computers today. It's unreal. I mean, there's, there's a huge interest in those computers. And when they come up on eBay, boom, they're gone very quickly as well. So what kind of price are you paying for one of those Amstrads? It depends on which Amstrad you get, um, because there are different models and some are rare. Uh, uh, but but also it depends on the condition and what does it what does it come with, like original boxes, original manual, 
but generally uh, for a 6128, uh, which was the one I, the first one I got, you could you could pick one up for around 100 uh, euros, no problem, uh, even including the monitor. But then you have to add shipping and stuff because I'm not I'm living in Sweden, so they're going to have to I have to pay for shipping. And but if you want to get one of the rarer models like the Amstrad CPC 664 or the uh, Spanish uh, version of the 464, which was the 472, then you will be paying minimum of about 200 250 euros minimum. And I've seen them go up to 600 or more. Yeah. It's amazing, isn't it? And I mean, because I, I follow a lot of the retro computing um, Twitter accounts mm -hmm. as well. Because, um, you know, my interest is in the in the old Commodore Amiga, and I've still got my original Amiga, but I don't plug it in because I, I don't know what to plug it into. So I started looking into that a little bit because, you know, with the Amstrad, you buy yeah. the screen as well. Yes. So unless I go out and buy an old, st old school TV, mm -hmm with the ability to connect in, then, you know, it's, it's going to be a struggle. Um, but all the little, all, well, I say all of them, there's, there's a bunch of discs I've got. Um, and there's some where we did some music stuff, myself mm -hmm. and a friend at, at, at university. Some of those are missing. So where we did a couple of tracks together, lost forever. I think my dad had recorded over one of them with, um, save games on <laughs> some like, um, I think he used to play submarine games on my Amiga when I when I kind of went from uni. I left it with him mm. for a bit. And he wrote over the discs. Just like Oof. Dad, what are you doing? You know, lost forever. Yeah. Um, but you know, it it's great. And I I mean, I've I do the emulation on the Raspberry Pi. Mm. Um, but I've been looking at this thing called a Mister. Have okay. you seen that? What's that? Um, well, I, I don't know much about it yet. I've just just saw it the other day. But it, uh, they're emulate. They're not emulating hardware. They're actually you have like a a board, and then mm. I think they've got different boards that you plug onto it for, for different types of computers. Okay. So they've got like a, an Amiga one. They've got a Spectrum one, a Game Boy one. So rather than doing software emulation, I think it's doing hardware mm -hmm. emulation or something like that. So, I've, like I say, I've not looked into it. But this is this seems to be the big thing at the minute where they're, they're, you know, a lot of the, the nostalgia people are testing this out mm. and trialing it out. So I wonder if they've got kind of an Amstrad thing. But you know, it's it'd be great if I could get that and just plug in all the peripherals straight into. The, I mean, it's not the same as having the original, is it? But you know, you, yeah, that's that. the thing. I mean, before I bought this, my first Amstrad uh, in 2018, um, to get back into the retro feeling, um, I did try emulators absolutely uh, that run on windows and they gave some feeling but until you actually have the physical product in front of you with an old old style monitor i mean that it just brings it all back the feeling and i've even played some games of my youngest son and he was impressed with the games and i was impressed that he was impressed and even i was impressed at the speed of the games because they're running on eight bits you know it's just incredible. Eight bit computer. Yeah. What the, what but some of the do. characters are flying around the screen, yeah. aren't they? Getting thing all the different components and sprites to work and, and work at speed. Takes some doing. I mean, I think that uh, more people should be exposed to what these uh, old computers were doing back in the eighties because then they would truly appreciate 
what we have today, because what we have today is it's just so different, so much more advanced. But I mean, I've uh, so so when I have emulated and I've say I've emulated the Amiga, mm. uh, I'll plug in um keyboard and a mouse and um, the keyboard's just because it's a, a Windows keyboard right and it's just not the same it just doesn't feel the same like you say when you get the actual original hardware out mm. it's a totally different experience I mean it looked down to little things like um, when I used to play pinball dreams and pinball fantasies, fantasies yes. a lot on the Amiga yeah, yeah. yeah? And, the, and the shift keys on um, uh, the Amiga just work with it it's like having mm. the two flippers or whatever, you know, control those. Exactly. But on a yeah. on the emulation, now a Windows keyboard, if you look at it, usually has one smaller shift key. Mm. Yeah, it's that's got right. one big one on one side and a smaller one. So yeah. that's wrong. It doesn't you can't do it. So, you know, normally you'd have about two or three fingers whacking the shift keys on the Amiga. Mm. It's little 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 things like that just make a difference. Mm. Um but yeah, I mean, you know, I used to do the the Raspberry Pi events, and I take down the Retro Pi, which is mm-hmm. a, uh, an emulation, different cores running on it. So you could fire up um, Super Mario Karts, you could flip it over to an Amiga game or whatever, and the kids just love it. You know, it's, it's simplicity of gameplay in yeah. some of those early games, and um, like you say, doing it at such speed as well, and getting things to work. No, not not much slowdown at times. It's pretty but impressive, also, like you say. Uh, yeah, but also you're not you're not being distracted by reality, the reality of today's games. You know, I mean, I just got Microsoft Flight Simulator uh, just to try it out, and uh, I loaded it up uh, after downloading the hundred gigs, and uh, which I mean, hundred gigs is just insane. But yeah, that's games games today. Um, thank God for broadband, but. Uh, basically, when it loaded up, eventually, um, yeah, I was quite impressed with the graphics. But I mean, if you compare those sort of photorealistic graphics um, to games on an Amstrad CPC from the late '80s, there's just no comparison at all. It's a completely different world. Do you know what I mean? And and because it's a completely different world, that's what I like about it. It's 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 that. But also oh, wasn't that part innocent, of the fun that we used to you know play I mean? oh yeah but but we, you know we'd always go wow you know back even back in the day we'd say this looks so realistic mm. <laughs> you know on games that obviously weren't yeah. but at the time you were like blown away by it weren't you mm. you know obviously maybe not some of the vector graphics games and stuff like that but some of the things as they i mean we used to play formula one on the amiga we were like wow this is just like driving a car around monaco you know? yeah <laughs> look look at it now it's like dreadful <laughs> but but the gameplay was what consumed you and yeah i mean the thing is i mean how long did you stick with that new flight simulator game for how long did you play it for did you just kind of turn it on and go oh yeah it looks nice well no nah, i'm not well like i said i i just got it this week and um the first evening was literally just downloading that 100 gigs. And it was late at night, so I just started up the game and played it literally for like 10, 15 minutes and then uh, crashed the Cessna twice. So I said, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look into this properly on the weekend. So uh, I haven't touched, haven't touched it since, but I will, you know, go. Right. Yeah, I mean, because I, I don't play games like I used to do. Um, you know, I, I, I've not touched games for a long time, really. 
Um, it's just one of those things where if I see a game now, they seem quite complex mm. in their setup mm-hmm. compared to what a simple game would have been in the past. I can quickly hop onto a platformer mm. and play that in no time, start to solve puzzles as I go along. If mm. I'm confronted with an open-ended um, first-person shooter or whatever, I'm just and also first-person per- shooters just bore me as well because it's just the same thing like with different different uh, genre, different scenario. Yeah, you know, it's I kind of just go, oh yeah, I've done that, and yeah, I'm not really bothered now. So they just don't hook me in the same way. Mm. Um, but now I'm sure there's games out there that are good, and and I mean, you know, some dangerously addictive as well. But it, I don't know. Maybe maybe I've just grown up and got bored of them. Possibly mm. is one of the things. I do like a good puzzle game though. Something that's going to tax me, make me think a bit. Mm. But I keep revisiting old games uh, as well. So, you know, sort of uh, to uh, talk about emulation. I turned on Lemmings. The oh, other Lemmings. Day to show. Yeah, I remember that one. Yeah, do you remember? Oh, it's a cracker. And I was saying to my eldest, "Oh yeah, so there's one guy who's like a blocker." And he stops people moving. There's another mm. one blows where up. he'll they'll have, yeah. yeah, blows up. Another one who builds steps up and all this. And he's like, okay, trying to trying to understand what the game was all about. So I said, right, let, let's show you on YouTube. And he was like, oh, okay. So I thought, right, I'm gonna have to have a crack at that. Mm. Those little puzzle things. And it's simple and it doesn't consume all loads of time. Because time can fly, can't it, when you when you're on those things. Yeah, but it's also a nice escape from reality to uh, to play a game every so often. So uh, I want to try doing a little bit more of that now. Um, to just you know, spend half an hour playing a game. I mean, I I I, I built uh, I took I bought an old Dell computer, uh, Optiplex nine 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 zero two zero uh, i seven. Um, and what I did was I basically turned it into a gaming machine, uh, even though it's you know it's old. Uh, yeah, I blogged about it. <laughs> Again, I think you you blogged this as well, haven't you? Something yeah. I've seen pictures of. Yeah. So I yeah. mean, there's lots of things I like to blog. Maybe I'll start blogging how to build decks next. <laughs> <laughs> so is that so that thing's complete? Is it that that machine that you built? Yeah, yeah, that's the one that uh, I'm running the Microsoft Flight Simulator on. So, uh, right, right. Yeah. I've not had a I've not had a desktop for ages. Is that the first one you've had in a while? No, I did have I did I did have one, but it was it was really crap. Uh, so I was ha- happy to replace that one with this one, uh, so that I could p- play the occasional uh, multiplayer game with uh, my kids. You know. I think it wouldn't. I don't think we can do this podcast now without asking you about mm. the MVP side of things, right? Because I know you've you've been um, you've been uh, on board now. It's tenth year, isn't it? I think this yep. year you've got Ten you've got years. your tenth year little dinky thing that goes on the mm-hmm. the, the award stack, or whatever. And um, so I think I think people would be interested to hear maybe how that all came about originally you know you got going in that because obviously windows noob's been around for a considerable amount of time and i've you know it was one of the things that i used when i got going with sccm back in the day yeah so back in the day funny that you mentioned it windowsnoob.com um i started that site out originally not not to become an mvp i just started it out because i at the time 
uh, I wanted to document things I was doing and learning uh, about SCCM 2007 and even SMS 2003 at the time. So uh, I started blogging stuff like that because when I searched for information, I couldn't find step-by-step -step guides for doing anything. Uh, and the only step-by-step -step guides I could find were behind a paywall. You'd have to pay to, to get them. And I wasn't going to do that. So I figured, okay, I'll figure it out myself and then I'll write a guide. And I was literally writing the guides for myself and they just started to get uh, very popular. And so I kept on doing it and I enjoyed doing it. And uh, over time, um, uh, actually, Jason Sandys, of all people, uh, contacted me and said, I want to nominate you uh, to be an MVP. And I was, oh, really? So I thought that was amazing. And he did. He nominated me and um, I got it 2010, which is like 10 years ago. <laughs> and um, I've been at it ever since. So as you know, it's a lot of work. I mean, we, we have to, there's a lot of um, feedback, which we provide to the product group uh, on internal aliases. Uh, we do a lot of testing, a lot of testing, you know, technical preview stuff and Intune and finding bugs and then reporting them back to Microsoft. But it's really enjoyable. I really enjoy being part of that, that community, both the, uh, the, the public community and the internal MVP community because it's two separate communities yeah and you've got the forum haven't you on um windows noob yeah it's a, a forum and of course i also have uh, nilebrady.com which is a wordpress site which i blog on a lot uh, basically because i find wordpress very easy to just you know fire up a blog uh, start writing about something uh, in a way i find it easier to write there than uh, writing on the forums but uh, a lot of the step-by-step -step guides I do on windowsnoob.com and then, you know, uh, other blogging stuff I'll do on nilebrady.com. So how long had you been doing the blog before you got nominated then? Um, I guess maybe two years, uh, two and a half years. Uh, I was blogging uh, my stuff and it was gaining in popularity. And I, I would like to say I was one of the first people to uh, really write step-by-step -step guides with screenshots because <laughs> back back then no one was doing it except for maybe one company that was charging for it um so it was behind a paywall and i was i was offering it for free so uh, people could just come there read the guides ask stupid questions and uh you know go away happy so i think that con contributed to the success of windowsnoob.com and also to helping me uh become an mvp yeah, I mean, you know, it, it, again, this is one of these things where you're talking about the change, you know, over time and looking back at how things were. Because really, as you say, there was nothing around at that time. Very little. But and that's now, been 10 years ago. Now, look at it. Now it's the total opposite. So now, of course, everyone has internet. Everyone has good internet. Everyone knows what everyone else wants. So everyone's doing their own version of step-by-step -step guides, basically. So, yeah. Which, which is great. I mean, there's a lot of things you can find. I mean, I, you know, my thing is always to refer to the Microsoft documentation. Yeah. Uh, but step-by-steps are, gr are great. I mean, I create them myself. And in mm -hmm. fact, uh, you know, I think my SCCM install blog, step-by-step, uh, -step was is one of the, still the big hitters. And that's for 2012 um, install. You know, <laughs> it's, it's, still, it's still relevant, yeah. you know. And, yeah. um 
it's it's those things that I like to mix up between um, step by steps and tips and fixes and things like that because exactly um, experiences. You know, yeah exactly what goes wrong and that and then also step but step by steps are becoming tricky to keep relevant in a way because of the the rapid change in in the product itself yes it's changing so fast now that uh unless unless you really refer to this was done on this version on this day <laughs> like technical preview i mean it's it changes every month so and sometimes twice a month so yeah. it's almost like what we were saying about Intune blogs mm-hmm. before, because the Intune, I mean, the, the, the portal changes so much as well that what you yeah. screenshot is no longer relevant. It's, there's almost that feel happening in, in Config Manager itself as well. And I mean, I know you've done a lot, focused a lot on, on, on MBAM recently mm-hmm. and, and, and BitLocker integration of MBAM yeah. um, to, to Config Manager. So I have I did uh, one uh, when it just got released with tp mm-hmm. you know it's it's still relevant but it's still out of date because i think that original tp didn't have any self-service portal and things like that that kind of came mm-hmm. later so yeah yeah it's one of those things where you go you know uh, it, it changes so rapidly it's good to have stuff out there to refer to and lots of people getting involved and the more the merrier really because um exactly you know it helps everyone out ultimately doesn't it to, yeah uh, i mean but it can it can be information overload as well at the same time so much stuff out there exactly i mean do you find at times you know it's it's tricky to keep up with the yep. the whole product and, yeah yeah of course and i mean you know because uh, we've done many sessions together ourselves uh, that uh, it is hard to keep up but th- the best way to do it is to do labs and uh, either go through it yourself or go through it with someone you enjoy doing that with uh, which is why I've done so many of those types of labs with you, because um, it's been enjoyable, you know. Yeah, we learnt quite a lot from those experiences for sure, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> well, Noel, appreciate you taking time out to, tonight to uh, to chat to me on this, as I say, the last episode of this this series of uh, just a couple of jerks. No problem, uh, my pleasure, Paul. That's cool. Got got to know you a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And um, if people want to get in touch with you, could you just want to fire out your Twitter handle and uh, any way they they can contact you? Absolutely. So uh, if anyone wants to get in touch with me for whatever reason, they can find me on Twitter. My handle is at NC Brady. Uh, that's N for Nile, C for Christopher, and B R A D Y Brady. And of course, you can find me at windowsnoob.com or you can email me, Niall at windows-noob.com or even Niall at windowsnoob.com, either either. <laughs> they all work. Yeah. Lovely. No, it's been a real pleasure chatting to you. And so thanks for taking part once again. No problem. Likewise, Paul. See you.